I'm Kimberly Amici. Welcome to the Build Your Best Family podcast. This is a practical show to help you imagine, plan, and build your best family. We believe that the secret to having a happy family is not being perfect, but having purpose. Each week, I'll be sharing with you lessons I've learned and conversations I've had that will help you become who you want to be together. Today, we are talking about how to successfully have hard conversations in marriage with Jacqueline and Brendan Widener. In marriage, there will be times when you need to have hard conversations. These might be conversations that neither you nor your spouse want to have. They may be conversations about annoying or difficult issues. They may be topics that you dodge because they make you feel angry, defensive, sad, or hurt. Pretending that there is nothing wrong or avoiding the elephant in the room will keep both of you walking on eggshells and will ultimately take a toll on your marriage. However, engaging in these talks shows that you care about your spouse and your marriage. These are the conversations that will really help you grow. Brendan and Jacqueline are here to lend us their wisdom about how to make space for these kinds of conversations and to create a muscle memory around those small wins so that we can eventually tackle the big issues that prevent us from having a healthy and connected marriage. Are you ready to start parenting with clarity and purpose? Then let's talk. The free resources I offer are great. I hope you're using them. But if you want to take it to the next level, I can help with personal insight and support. As a family culture coach, I'm here to help you know exactly what to do as you imagine, plan, and build your best family. We'll use a simplified step-by-step process that will equip you to reach your goals and fulfill your potential together. Head over to www.buildyourbestfamily.com forward slash coaching to schedule a call. Today, I'm talking with Brendan and Jacqueline Widener. Brendan and Jacqueline Widener have been married for nearly 15 years and live just outside Vancouver, Canada with their three talkative little girls. Brendan is an area director for Young Life Surrey, and Jacqueline is a part-time high school teacher. Jacqueline is also the host of the Ready to Thrive podcast, helping women move from surviving to thriving with practical tips and a whole lot of Jesus. They are passionate about helping others find freedom in every area of their life. Jacqueline is also the author of Tangled, a soul care revival guide helping women break free from all that is entangling them. Jacqueline and Brendan, I'm so excited to talk to you guys today. Thank you for having us. We're excited to be here. Yeah, thanks so much. So I'm going to ask you a question. What is your family known for? Brendan, do you want to answer first? Yeah, I think it's a good question. What comes to mind are probably some shared values that we have. We definitely have a strong sense of fun in our family. Definitely love a good adventure. And I would say depth. Like we want to have deeper conversations. We want to go deep in our relationships. We want to do that with our kids. And then we want to be Jesus-centered. So yeah, those are kind of four. The only thing I would add, I would say, I think adventure Because we do tend to now, I don't know if this is just stupidity, but we tend to do things sometimes where I'm like, how do we get ourselves into this situation here? (laughs) So so I do think a sense of adventure. I don't know if I shared this on your show before, but we did um, two spring breaks ago. We drove to, we drove to Oregon from where we live, which is about three hours North of Seattle And then on our one week family planned vacation to Oregon, we actually kept going and drove all the way to Disneyland. 
And so that definitely was some of our adventurous side. And I think our fun seeking as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I when you said adventure, I was like, yeah, I think that might be what she shared before. Yeah. Okay. So that's good when you have the same answer. <laughs> as you did last time. All right. So you host a podcast called Ready to Thrive. And you guys recently did a series that was titled Hard Conversations. So what led you guys to create or you to bring your husband onto the podcast and create that series? Yeah, I think just because we it was one morning actually after the Sunday morning online service that we were watching. And we were sitting there for quite a while, I'd say for a solid hour after the service ended just having a conversation. And I realized this is just what we do. We just have these long conversations. They're not always about the hardest topics, Mm -hmm. uh, but we, like Brendan said, we like to go deep and we like to talk about life and things that we find really significant and important. And so I was like, let's, let's have some conversations. And so at first I wasn't sure exactly where the conversations were going to go, but we ended up recording four different episodes. The first one we just talked about kind of the why we have hard conversations. And that's been a big part of our journey as well. Everybody has their own quirks when they come into a relationship. When when any kind of conflict arises, I know for myself, when we first started dating, my mode of operation was kind of to get really quiet and hide and not really share the things that were going on. Like I, I just wouldn't share what I was thinking or feeling. And Brendan really had to pry it out of me. And those were not great communication Mm -hmm. habits. And so for us to go from that place to learn how to really communicate well, I just thought, okay, other people probably could use some of these things that we've just learned along the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I hate to stereotype, but I think a lot of women, we want our husbands to figure out what we're thinking and what we're feeling and pry it out of us. And I don't think that's a great way to resolve things. Honestly, looking back, I, I can just see how it's a very immature response. Mm-hmm. And again, it had come through a habit I'd created in all of my dating relationships. This was just what I did. I really just shut down. Mm-hmm. And probably because we had never learned to follow a conversation through to the end mm-hmm. and experience the connection, the resolve, the good feelings, all the good things that come through having that conversation all the way to the end. And it was Brendan who really made me, I would say very much so learn to kind of grow up in my ability to communicate and to be able to say, hey, this is what I'm thinking and learn how to speak uh, in a way that he would understand what I was trying to say or what I was feeling. And then he helped us really stick, stay in those conversations. Sometimes it was incredibly painful to keep going through a conversation where you're like, I just want to be done, but go through it till the end and it would be resolved. So unpack that a little bit more for me, because I did hear you talk about that on your episodes. And so what does it mean to stay in the conversation till the end? I, I, when I think of the conversations I've had with my husband, I don't know that we stay in it till the end. So how do we know if we're moving in the right direction? That is a great question. And I think it's challenging because I felt when we gave that advice that some people might say, no, trust me, we tried that and it doesn't work. It just gets worse. I think it's, it's a challenging skill, but it's a really like an art form. But I don't mean that in a way like it's not achievable for the average person, but you're, you're sensing where, 
the conversation still has benefit for people to express more of what they actually think and feel. Mm-hmm. And then if they actually got everything out now, the baggage is, is that most of the times when you actually like dig down there, when you, when you like, I don't know, like digging for treasure, but it doesn't feel like treasure when you hit it. And when you hit it, either the other person hit it, or you just realize in the conversation, yeah. you know what it is. I feel disrespected. Generally, yeah. once you've like dug out for yourself, what it is, you don't, generally have nice language around it and your lack of nice language sends the other person into their own response. So you're, Mm. you realize, you know, I figured out what it is. And and I would say that's lots of the times in the conversation is uh, as we dialogue, I will be like, I know I don't feel good about this. I don't feel resolved. I don't know why. And I'm digging and digging and digging. And then when I find it, I find often there's like a bit of a punch behind it. Mm. I need to let you know that this is what it is. And disrespect, I chose that word on purpose because that's often what I find will be a root for me. That's There's a great book called Love and Respect that that, especially for males. But for me, just realizing that and then figuring out how do I learn and I'm going to make mistakes. I discover it. I'm deeply offended. And I speak out of that deep offense. And mm-hmm. I usually come back and I create a new problem. So I've discovered, but now I've also just hit you with my raw emotion about it. And you're reeling. And so I think it's partly that there's a value going down to find the bottom because you'll feel mm-hmm. resolved. And then learning, I got to get this across without attacking the other person. Yeah. And especially you build like kind of a positive experience, positive trust that the other person really isn't trying to sabotage you. Even when they've done things incredibly hurtful, uh-huh. it's a pretty rare scenario. I could be wrong, but a rare scenario where someone is actually doing vindictively. There is vindictive behavior, obviously. Right. Work, right. But, no, I understand. But most, but most often that wasn't the intent at all. It was just, they didn't know what they were doing to you. And so if you could mm-hmm. somehow convey it to them in a way that gives them an opportunity to receive it, by yeah. learning how to like say it with the truth, but not with the like rawness where you create a second problem, which is how you expressed it. So I don't know if I yeah. there, but that's some of how I would express it. Yeah, I like that analogy because I would say this is just based on my personal experience that when we kind of like hit that, instead of like digging it up, we just assume that's the end and then we're done. Like anytime you go into that territory of I have no idea why you think that or would say that, like all bets are off, you know? And so it's like, almost like if you could just keep at it, cause right. Mo- most of the time, it's not about the thing. It's about the thing underneath the thing. Right. hundred percent. And I think that's actually the, the place where I would say in some ways having these conversations, you do build a certain amount of like stamina or endurance hmm. because you have a muscle memory that goes, Oh, I know, I know what it looks like to go halfway and feel not great. And then I know what it's like mm. to go all the way to resolve and feel like we both felt heard and understood. We probably mm. also both apologized because we both own a share. We probably feel like the other person has the 90% and we've got the 10, but you know, owning your percentage, apologizing, getting to that place where you both feel kind of a sense of being understood and, and peace. I think yeah. that to me feels like seeing it all the way through. It doesn't mean you won't still feel sometimes like depending on the severity of the conversation, mm-hmm. not every conversation is that severe, but sometimes you will probably feel a little bit beat up 
like you'll probably feel a little bit like, oh, wow, that was, that was, that was, that took me through the emotional ringer. And sometimes I'm like, oh, tomorrow's going to feel a little bit rough. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, so it's, it's not necessarily to say it all feels like sunshine and rainbows. Ultimately, the connection we have made, the understanding each other and the almost like this invisible step forward we've made in understanding each other so that we're not going to keep coming back to that same issue. I think about it like a weed where you don't actually get the whole weed. And so later on, you're having a conversation about something totally Mm -hmm. different. And yet it comes back to this issue Mm -hmm. because that issue didn't get resolved. And I would say, you know, often, like you said, the thing isn't about the thing. So for years, we could be fighting about one thing, right? There's a little, like you fight about very surface things, like something someone has left their clothing on the floor or someone has left their dirty dishes over here or whatever the little thing is. And it's, it's never that thing exactly it's kind of finding that root and then how do you deal with it yeah so we'll go back a little bit more to like how to have these conversations but I want to find out what are the hard conversations that couples should be having that we're maybe not having not that we want to like make something out of nothing but I do think that we can get to a place in some of our relationships where we're very good at avoiding things that need to be talked about. So what do you think are the necessary conversations we should try to explore? My first very big answer is the conversation you're avoiding, right? You sometimes have that little thing in your, in your heart or your mind that says, Ooh, that's, that's the thing. Um, sometimes, sometimes it's a thing you have been avoiding sharing with your spouse. You've used some, carefully worded language to talk to your spouse about something, Um, you know, whether it is, um, let's just say shopping habits, like how much you spent somewhere or what you have done when you've hung out with some girlfriends or what you were talking about, like whatever the thing is that you kind of realize you have not fully shared the truth with your spouse is going to kind of create these little invisible barriers with each other. Mm -hmm. So I would say for each couple, it's probably that thing you've been avoiding fully sharing and maybe it's kind of almost popped up in your mind every once in a while like should I share this but you don't because a you don't know how it's gonna end up it feels like it's actually safer to not talk to them about it Mm -hmm. or you realize hey we're we're on a date night or we're on vacation or we're somewhere we happen to be the two of us why would I wreck this beautiful moment by having a potentially Mm -hmm. hard conversation that is going to take it down an an unknown path. So I think for sure avoiding is key. I don't know if you have some specific conversations. I was going to echo that. Like, it's easy to think like, oh, what are the classics? Like money, sex, parenting, those are the, but I would say that's making it more about the topic and the topic is very important. That's where life plays out. But I would say, yeah, the conversation you're not having, like, And it's, and I would say some of it that's had overlap in this tends to, there's, there's life philosophies you practice in one relationship and then you realize, oh, I could apply this everywhere else or vice versa. So one of the experiences I had was on a personal level, realizing what it looked like to resolve conflicts in my life, which probably like the average human, I was just managing unresolved Mm -hmm. conflict 
you know, just in about 25 areas in my life, just trying to, you know, get through a day without bumping into this kind of person in the grocery store. Cause we have that issue, even if it was a small random thing a long time ago. So I can see you and I can be friendly, but I'm just thinking, Ooh, I saw you go down the aisle before you saw me. So I can actually just steer clear, you know, and then you imagine adding that to like, you know, one of your siblings, you imagine adding that to people you work with, adding, adding, adding. And so one of the pieces that happened for me more on a personal level and, and faith was embedded in it was realizing what it looked like when I, I took those away. Like I had a few positive experiences where I resolved some conflicts with people. Some were small, some were large. And it's like, oh, I'm, my shoulders are lighter. I'd, I don't have to like have my head on a pivot at the grocery store. I could just shop like a person. You know, there's not like 12 people I'm trying to avoid bumping into or at work or whatever. And, and I, I think, you know, sometimes we'd be like, oh, well, if you're, you know, walking with Jesus or ministry or those things, those aren't issues. It's like, uh, I find there's actually probably a, almost a naivety that we don't have those problems. Sometimes we have them worse. Like we haven't learned how to manage that. So, and then you take your marriage, that's your, Mm -hmm. probably the single relationship that has the most impact. And so if you're sitting there instead of with just that one conflict, like we have 14, you know, there's like the top level ones, which is like, can you please just wash the peanut butter knife properly? I've asked you 12 times. Why don't you understand, you know, then all the way down to what you did, you know, three years ago on that trip when you made that comment and we tried to go back to it, but we can't fix it. So we now we just don't touch it, but Mm -hmm. most of us know that's a sensitive topic. Um, So I think, that's kind of how I would frame it is just to, to real because sometimes it can be like, we should all have better marriages because, um, you know, and no one is necessarily saying that, but to realize it's like, well, I think we all just actually long for freedom. You get one, you know, trip on this planet. And what would it look like to walk around and not be feeling the feelings that you have when you're avoidant, when, yeah. you're afraid, when you're afraid, and especially the person you live with. And once upon a time, we're so excited to start a journey with. So that's a little bit of what I would. As you were talking about it, I was thinking about like our computers. I know sometimes I'll get a message up on my computer that says if I would just close some of my windows that my computer would perform better. (laughs) That's a great analogy. And so like if we could just get rid of those, those, you know, topics or things that we that need to be addressed that we are avoiding that I I can imagine it would just be such a, a load lifted off of ourselves for sure. And I love how you talked about like resolving smaller conflicts, like getting those wins under your belt gives you that muscle memory and that ability to then continue to resolve conflict. All right. So as I listen to you talk, I sometimes I'm almost feeling like I don't know if I can relate, meaning that (laughs) when I talk to my spouse, sometimes it feels like we're talking in a different language. So have you guys just always been on the same page or, you know, did you always have these skills to resolve these conflicts and have hard conversations or did was there other influences that helped you to get to the place you are now? Yeah, I would say, again, we've been married for almost 15 years. It has been a work in progress from that place of where we were dating and the bad habits I talked about earlier to learning how to have the hard conversations. I think one part of it was like, learning how to have the hard conversations at the right time. Mm -hmm. So not when, so Brennan references the peanut butter knife, which is that a sore point. (laughs) Let's just, I'm not going to paint a picture of how he would get the entire knife covered in peanut butter. And if you've ever tried to wash a knife covered in peanut butter, it's a disaster. Um, But I realized the time to talk about it wasn't 
in the moment that he threw it in the sink. Time to talk about it was actually removed from the time when we're actually on neutral ground in terms of like, we don't have something else going on. Like it's not, we're already resolving a conflict. Let's talk about this as well as kind of ammunition. It would be more, we're on a date night. We're on a drive. There's a time to kind of talk about this. So I think that helped us in some ways with our language, because then, then the language is less in the moment and it's less attacking. I think we've both had to learn to be really good listeners, like people who listen to understand, not to defend and not to uh, work on our own case, but we've really had to, and I think even just speaking each other's language and knowing, I mean, there'll be times where I will try to think of how I'm feeling about a situation and I might try to put it in a sports analogy for Brendan. Like I might use something he knows well to explain it. And if that kind of clicks for him, then he goes, oh, that makes way more sense what you're saying. So I definitely think we're not, we definitely haven't come from being on the same page. We've had to learn to choose our times when to communicate, but also the carefully the words we use and how we can, I think really, if I want Brendan to know the thing that is important to me, my issue, I have to actually take the time to learn how to explain it well, Mm. because then when he grabs a hold of that and he understands it, he's on my team. Like he, we're, we're facing the issue together. We're not facing each other as kind of enemies. We're like, okay, here is the issue out in front of us. And um, learning how to kind of talk about the issue has been huge as well. Anything else you that? There is. It's going to come back to my mind in a second because I had a great thought on that. No, I do think listening and hearing the other person is, I would affirm that. And I would say the hard thing is, is in life is you don't always know how to ask for what you need because let's be honest, you don't even always know what you need. You, Mm -hmm. You know what you don't need. Like, you're like, I know I don't want you to do that to me. So I would say that was the first, let's say first five years of marriage. I don't know, something mm-hmm. like that. First third uh, with the 15 year mark. But for us, it was it was many things, but probably the most tangible playing out constantly was the household chores. Jacqueline had roommates and lived on her own. And so had I, but my roommate was like my brother or other bachelors. And it was, we were the cliches. You know, they had fresh flowers at her place with her roommate and Ours was, you know, those microwave popcorn bags were just like there for when you needed more from three days ago. And so it was a bit of a world's colliding. And so, but one of the challenges is that she had such a vision for her home that like, if you ask me, I'd be like, oh, it's, I'm glad someone does because mm-hmm. I don't. Like, this is the place I come, you know, kind of veg and recharge before I go back out there. Or I let the world come through for the purposes of my ministry, but I'm not really like home building. But so she would have such a passion and vision around certain things. And, you know, had some crazy ideas, like we should share in the workload and there should be parts that we're going to be mine, which and logically is like, no, that makes total sense. But what she said was both of our experience and me trying to find the words is I said, it's funny when I knew I was like the vacuum guy, even though, yes, I was, you know, I'd let it go for 12 days or something, which is too long. I knew I was the vacuum guy. I felt convicted. I was looking for opportunities and I actually had a plan. I was going to try and do it tomorrow. And you came along and just basically 
like in the moment, just we're like so frustrated. There's so many bits of things in our carpet. They're like, you said you're going to, how come you mm-hmm. have it? And it actually made me say in my mind, I'm never vacuuming again. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, what, what happened that flip? But I didn't have all the words for that. And so eventually, like maybe at the two to three year mark, I was like, okay, I think I've got it. I think we can have a separate conversation, but you can't live remind nag me about mm-hmm. it because what it's doing is actually, I didn't have words for it then. I feel devalued as a person. Yeah. I actually don't feel like you trust me. I don't have ownership. None of my ideas about our home seem to ever make it. Like it's just whatever, as long as I can just I'm like, do you really want a servant? Do you want just someone who just execute, execute? And it's like, it's really hard to live that way. It's hard to ever like exceed those expectations because I'm just, just yeah. thinking like, what do you want of me? And I hope I did it right. As opposed to actually giving me a vision in a side conversation, mm. empowering me. And I think there's good overlap in leadership and in parenting and many other aspects, but it took me a while to be like, this is what I need. And that's what sparked what Jacqueline said a a moment ago of us to have a separate conversations and Mm -hmm. live conversations obviously are needed in life in many ways, but ones that are like hair trigger or create that kind of like historical negative response just to say, let's just make a guideline that we, we, we like stop and are sitting down and then we're going to say, Hey, can I bring this up? And if you bring it up in a way and you give me a vision for it and, and some honesty, I've been discouraged with how it's going. I can way more engage that than the live coaching nagging. Yeah, that's interesting that you should say that. So recently I did have a hard conversation with my husband and I actually didn't say anything new. <laughs> I just said it in a different way. So I presented to him and it's, and it's even interesting that you were used the word vision because I would have never used that before that my conversation with my husband, but instead of saying, Hey, here's the things I'm like tired of, or here's the things that I'm unhappy with. I reframed it and said, here's what I think it can be. And I think something clicked for the both of us and it shifted it off of, you know, what do we need to do better? Okay. All right. Just tell me to, oh, oh, like I see what you're saying. And 20 years in, it's the first time I've done that. And so I think that that's come from yes, prayer and asking God, like, how do we address this situation? But also being a student of my husband and realizing, hey, this approach doesn't work with him. And I know for sure, like the approach that I've taken in the past doesn't work because he's an Enneagram one, right? So if I'm learning about him, then I can go, oh, that's really not the way I should be approaching it. Even though that's just, I want to just like, just vomit on him, all my emotions. (laughs) Well, and I would say various personality tools are helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, things like the love languages book and Enneagram and other things, any way you can understand who your spouse is and how they operate will help you communicate to them. It will help you avoid trigger words or things that aren't going to be helpful. And I think ultimately going back to that idea of love and respect is that often if Brendan wasn't doing things, I didn't feel loved, but the way I would approach him, he didn't feel respected. And so for many of the things in our home, Part of it looked like him having the vision, taking ownership, and then me actually having the self-control to not remind him, which is essentially is nagging him. And the way he framed it was basically, like, let's say the example was take out the garbage. That's been his thing. It's every two weeks that it goes out to the curb. And so if you miss that, you you really are going to pay for it. And he just said, 
you have to let me fail. Like you have to let me own this. And if I don't remember one time and I fail, I'll feel that internally because I don't want to fail. Mm -hmm. I want to do it, but I want to own it. And I realize, wow, there's something so different when we um, have the ability to own something and it comes from this deeper internal motivation as opposed to doing something that somebody else is just telling us. Like nobody really wants to be told. And so, you know, that does play out as well in our parenting because our three kids are different. And so they're going to respond differently as well to uh, the way we communicate with them and how similarly, how we share with them a vision. Like recently this year, we've been talking about, we picked a word of the year for our family and we just said, the word of the year is stewardship. And so we often bring that up. Like, what does this look like? And at first they have no, they're four, six, and nines. They have no idea what this word means, but I had made a big mess about something a few weeks ago and I wasn't there, but our middle daughter said to Brendan, she saw the mess. She goes, this is not good stewardship. And I loved it. Cause I was like, oh, you guys are grasping this and you're, you are then now feeling empowered to take ownership in different areas that Mm -hmm. otherwise probably would have felt a little bit more like me saying, this is what you need to do. Yeah. um, That it can come from them. Oh yeah. Ownership is so good. I've talked about that often in the podcast and I do believe it is the way you can build culture is by getting your kids to buy in to the family's mission and to get behind it and take ownership for sure. Yeah. Uh, The things that we've been talking about so far definitely point to creating an environment where we can feel safety in that conversation. Is there anything specific that you think we can do on purpose to create a safe space for us to have these conversations? Yeah, I think one of the thoughts that just came to mind is, and maybe there's a better term for this, but I'm going to call it the rules of engagement. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that there is a way we're going to have these conversations, we create principles for having them. And I think what's really challenging, even about that concept right off the hop, is it's very mockable. Like it's very, I just think of the office and, you know, Jim and Pam are going through something and they have this like, you know, and they're something from their counselor is like, can I speak my truth? And it, <laughs> and, and when you see it, I mean, the, the, the show does a decent job. They're actually working through real conflict and you watch them go through it. That's actually not all Hollywood-esque, but, but it's really mockable. And I think... And, and maybe as a guy, sometimes the guys are even more likely to mock kind of these, like, what are our rules? Like we have to, you can't text, you know, a critique or what, like, it's like, <laughs> well, well, I was mad or I saw it or I thought of it or what, like, you know what I mean? Like you could, but I would say, and I, and I've gone through quite a journey with this, I'd say as someone in leadership and who runs teams and I, the communication is probably messier than it's ever been because it's so tech laden. Like it's, and it's, it can come at us in certain different ways. So I'd say having rules of engagement in both senses. So having rules of engagement of what are some healthy ways of when we bring up the hard stuff mm-hmm. and when and how are we going to do it? And so, and then, and I would say even in a sense, and I hope this isn't like too broad before I'll come back down, but there's a really helpful book that I highly recommend that may not seem like it has anything to do with marriage at first, other than maybe as a joke, but it's a book called Death by Meeting. And it's Patrick Lencioni, who's a, a really great leadership author, uh, also has a strong personal faith. And I attached mm-hmm. to his material several years back and have read everything he's done. And his concept in that book, and he actually uses when he, he's a very gifted public speaker, when he's speaking, he'll make this joke about like, have you ever noticed what 
your conversations are like as a marriage couple. It's like you're brushing your teeth simultaneously and you're talking about who's picking up the kids tomorrow. What are we going to eat? Are we trying for another kid? Did you pay the bill? And like, and he calls it meeting stew. And it's a huge challenge in organizations. It's like your staff meeting and you just put it all in there. I'd say that's probably what we're really struggling with in our marriage. A lot of the time is all topics are treated the same and equal and they do have their own value. We don't obviously want to not pay bills or not get our kids signed up for the activity that's important Mm -hmm. to them. But we also do want to have time and value and prioritize Mm -hmm. people being heard people processing maybe you know something at work that's a career crossroads or maybe there's a event with like their family of origin that's taking place in less and they need to process that so i almost say like and this is where it can get very and i don't want to be too whatever realistic or something but to say let's create let's create a, a priority that we're going to have those conversations i would say the default in our modern world is solve the practical solve the practical solve the mm. practical get out the door on time pay the yeah. bill so-and-so needs a response. And so what you end up doing is you just saying, or we could talk about that unresolved conflict that we've tried three times at in four years. And it's probably going to take four hours to start to make progress. You know what we could get done in four hours? This house could be like spotless and we yep. can go for a family bike ride and make dinner. And so it's really hard for us to value that. And so that's why mm, that's good. that book, Death by Meeting, is... He talks about a strategy and he relates it to links of shows where it's like, you know, you need a way of meeting that is the equivalent of your news digest, you know, five minutes. You need a type of meeting that's the equivalent of a sitcom or a one hour TV special. Mm-hmm. But then you also need a, a meeting that's like a two hour movie where it's like, where is this like meeting going? And I would say any of your good, like resolve your long-term conflict conversations are going to feel like one of those like artistic movies where you're like, where is this going? And some of our personalities depends how you're wired. And, and I think guys maybe more so, but not always. I mean, there's always all sorts of personality differences. Could be like, this cannot be productive. We are 45 minutes in. We could have done so many other things. We're mm-hmm. just rehashing the same thing. So I would just say rules of engagement to say, we're going to prioritize these conversations. We're going to have them separately from all the other like life business of managing our home and family. Mm, that's uh, good. And once we're in them, we were going to agree, like, and you can have a rule if you want that you leave a movie theater partway through a movie. I mean, you spent money on all that stuff. So usually you're like, let's give it a chance. This is a good. So I would say in a similar vein, having a rule of engagement for when you're having a deep, hard conversation or just a deep conversation, it always has to be in conflict. You say, we talk to the end and we mm-hmm. don't let whatever uh, life's practical things, a text message get in the way. We're going to actually start and finish. So that would be, I don't know if that's yeah. anything you'd work off and check on I would just say, again, some of the very practical things are the really being aware of your language and so not using any of the attacking language um, as well that really trying to listen to understand. And and it does help if you if you have said to yourself, I'm going to try and really listen here mm-hmm. instead of trying to listen only coming up with your own points. And the other thing I think is sometimes it helps to just share ahead of time. I'd love if we can sit down and have a conversation about blank. And so there is an expectation where you said ahead of time. And we have done this recently. One of the conversations that I love to avoid for years was just on finances. I felt 
all kinds of weird inside to have these financial conversations for many reasons. And I would want to make them short and sweet and avoid them. And so when we started taking our finances seriously, we said, we are going to have to sit down and have some big regular conversations. And it was really hard for me to say, I'm going to have to get my, my butt in the chair. Mm -hmm. This is what, like, this is what we're talking about. I don't necessarily want to be here or follow this through to the end, but I knew we had blocked off the time and this was the conversation um, we are going to have. And so I think sometimes just saying ahead of time, this is what I'm hoping we can talk about. And can we find the space? to? So we both kind of know what we want to say. We both kind of know going in. Get a heads up. You're not blindsided. Yeah. 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 That's fantastic because I think about my to-do list and I always want to like get those quick wins and I want to like put on my to-do list, all those things I want to cross off. And I always avoid those tasks that are going to like the writing, like it's so much easier for me to do, but the writing I know is not something that's going to be able to be checked off. I probably have to do a first draft. I probably have to, you know, edit it tomorrow. It's like, I avoid those things that don't have a predictable and a predictable outcome or a linear experience for. And so, yeah, I mean, I see that even in my own personal <laughs> calendar. So I can see that that's like, it just makes it so clear for me. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like the things that you just shared with me are great tips also for making space for those conversations as well, because I know that that's something that we try to do as a family. But as you were talking, I realized we don't necessarily do it in my, in our marriage, like we, we kind of wait till we stumble upon it. And I think by that time, our emotions are probably so worked up that it's hard for us to really have a solid conversation about it. And I would say sometimes it's simply because we forget to have the conversation. Mm -hmm. And so I would just say, if there's something that uh, comes up in the everyday busy life with your spouse, one thing I will do is I will open up the phone notes uh, on my phone and I'll just write it down. Like, Oh, this, this thing keeps bothering me Mm. Um, not to keep score, but to remember when we have a chance to sit down and have a conversation and it's the right time, the right atmosphere, I'm going to bring up this thing. And so sometimes it's not even a four hour conversation. It's like a 20 minute. I just haven't had the time to share with you. And so if I don't do that, then eventually it will come up and and it will be more of an explosion. So I think just reminding myself, oh yeah, this thing keeps happening. I'm going to just write this down so we can talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, That's something I like to do is just have a a running list of what do we need to talk about conversations. If we happen to get to go on vacation together or a long road trip or something where we have the chance to have longer conversations. And again, they're not always bad. They can be those conversations of, are we having another child or something like that, that you're like, this isn't maybe the hardest conversation, but it needs to happen. And we probably need the time and the space to be able to talk through Mm -hmm. things that are, are we moving or changing Mm -hmm. careers? Like some of those topics that just take a little bit more time. Yeah. So it's probably not a good idea to casually mention it while you're cooking dinner several times in a row for a month (laughs) and hoping you get the answer you want. (laughs) All right. So one last question. What is one word of encouragement for those that are feeling that they need to have hard conversations with their spouse, but they're not convinced that it's worth the effort? Yeah, I think that's a fair concern. And as I think I mentioned earlier, I think that's probably been um, something that many people can relate to having not had positive experiences 
And so I think it's hard to imagine something if you haven't had it. And it maybe sounds like that's different. You're this personality. You have that marriage. You're not married to so-and-so or whatever the, the piece is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say it, fortunately, it's a principle that plays in any kind of relationship. So let's just say you might realize who this would be a hard person to practice with, not because I don't love them and don't believe in our marriage. I'm going to try this with so-and-so from work. And we have a small conflict and I I think I've heard enough. I've read something. I think this Mm -hmm. is what we got to go for. Like, and I would say that'd be again, the the piece of saying like, can I get a win? And then I, can I feel what it goes through? Like uh, I'm going to go through the process. I'm going to be honest. Like I'm going to speak my truth, but I'm going to do it. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk to the bottom. That's a language I often use of just like, you know, you've said it all when you're trying to get resolution, but I'm also not just going to be here to speak all of my stuff. I'm going to be able to, as best I can, really listen to the other person. And I would say it's a struggle for all of us. I struggle with this. I'm going to actually, at least for 30 full seconds, try and put myself in their shoes and imagine what that would have felt like on the receiving end. And so when you practice that, talk all the way through and then get to a place, and I don't think we said this yet, but it's, we would have said it in our other conversations on your podcast, but when you get to the place where you realize I did something wrong. But even though you started thinking, I think you did like 99% wrong. That's what we're here to talk about. But you do realize, you know what I did wrong is by the fifth time you did it wrong, I overreacted because I, and and understandably, because you've been doing it a lot, but I need to own my 0.1 or my 8.8% or whatever it is. And when you do, the other person feels like I'm dealing with a, a fair person, a trustworthy mm-hmm. person. They will mm-hmm. own something rather than sticking to the, well, I was entitled to respond that way because of your like, you know, inconsiderate behavior instead yes. of saying, no, that you're totally right. My reaction was unhealthy, negative, and I don't want to react that way. And I don't want to treat you that way. And if you're able to create an arrangement where both parties are going to own whatever they did to the percent they did and say, I am sorry that i like specifically out loud, this uh, I specifically disrespected you, that I didn't consider you, that I didn't ask again or whatever it was, and you feel that resolution, I think practice it. Like I would say if someone's like nervous about it with their spouse, I'd say practice it wherever you think you can win one of those. And I don't mean win like you'll prove yeah. them wrong. Like you'll both come out agreeing, mm-hmm. you'll feel the resolution, live in that for like two weeks, be like, oh, wow, when I see that person, like I... And I would say this is the, it's hard to know until you do it, but I've seen it with our marriage and with other relationships, but the relationship gets stronger mm. so where you just thought I was ready to accept that that relationship would always be mediocre or whatever to actually imagine a world where the relationship gets better, gets mm-hmm. strong is deepened by going through that process, which we would never, never imagine that's how it works. So that would be my encouragement. I say is like, here's what could be ahead for you in the process. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Put, play to succeed. Don't dive into the, you know, the unresolved bitter incident that was so deeply hurting four years ago yet go win other ones first in your marriage or in your life or both and work your way towards that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. As Brendan was talking, I wrote down some notes and then he stole what I was going to (laughs) say. I was just going to say, you know, sometimes I will start a conversation and Brendan will as well. Sometimes we'll start the conversation with an apology. And 
I have to say that hundred percent of the time, I do not feel like apologizing because I usually feel like it is 1% of the problem. And thinking about my kids as we go through this process of like, you need to apologize to your sister and forgive them and all that stuff. They don't necessarily feel it. And they often show you that in the way they have said, I'm sorry. But when you approach somebody with the sincere apology, not the I'm sorry, but, and then start explaining all the things. Just, and this is, this takes so much discipline and self-control. And if you have the vision ahead of you of connection and resolution, then it's like, I can, I can kind of suck it up here and apologize and say like, I'm like, cause my, my main goal here is, is resolution. My main goal here is connection. I'm going to do this hard thing. Cause it feels sometimes like in your mouth, you're like this, this is painful but I am going to apologize. So I'm approaching with a sincere apology. It disarms the other person. They're able to then often receive more readily, like what you want to say, and you're more easily able to get to that place of resolution. And the encouragement I would want to give people as well is just to say, don't let a bad negative past experience keep you from trying again. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we've probably all had those conversations. I know we have that went horribly wrong. And so, um, trying again, because it honestly is worth, it's worth fighting for it. And it's worth learning to fight the problem, not the person yeah, uh, and be able to get connected on the other end. And I, I really do hope people can see that this is something that hasn't come easily or naturally for us, but we've put the work in so much so that I'm writing down the same points that he's saying. It's just put honestly logging in those hours yeah. and, and sincerely like owning our 1%. Yeah. Apologizing, um, forgiving. And I hope that's encouraging for people. Yeah. And I love, I love that. And what came to mind as you were talking, reminding ourselves of the wins before we go into a situation. You know, often <clears throat> I think of tasks that I like just want to avoid at home. Like, for example, you know, one day I was like, oh, do I really want to take the time that's necessary to prep like dinner for, it was one day. And I was like, oh, I just, I can't deal with that. But then I reminded myself of how I would feel when I got home at eight o'clock at night and the food was in the crock pot waiting for me. Like I literally rehearsed what I would feel like. And I said, yes, that is the feeling I want to have that like, and so I have to remind myself what that win would feel like. And that gave me the motivation to then, I mean, I know it's not exactly the same, but, <laughs> but it's this principle of you reminding yourself of what it would be like, as opposed to what you brought up. Like, don't anticipate that it's, don't remind yourself of every time it went wrong, remind yourself of when it went right. And and like you said, cast that vision that we can get to the bottom of this and we can finish the conversation. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I have learned so much and I can't wait to re-listen to this episode when I edit it. <laughs> thank you so much for having us, Kim. Yeah, thank you. You can find Jacqueline at JacquelineWidener.com. She's also on Instagram as Jacqueline.Widener. And you can find her as well on the Ready to Thrive podcast. I'll link to all of this in the show notes. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. If so, I'd like to ask a favor. Can you head over to iTunes and leave a review? Besides sharing this episode with your friends, leaving a review is one of the most effective ways you can support us and help get the word out about the incredible resources we have to offer. 
I'm passionate about helping families thrive and your reviews help families find us. Remember, family culture is not about perfect, it's about purpose. 